you got to watch what you do off camera, I guess, or maybe not off camera. But um, a few years ago, our staff uh, read a book together called The Power of Moments. It's a good book. The authors, Chip and Dan Heath, share about what they call defining moments. And here's what they write. Say, a defining moment is a short experience that is both memorable and meaningful. Now, all of us have experienced those from time to time, right? For example, we had 26 OCC students graduate from high school and college last month, and no doubt, uh, that was a defining moment for them. But the book goes on to unpack what these moments are made of and how we can create more of them in our lives. In their research, the authors found that defining moments are created from one or more of the following four elements. Okay, here they are. Number one is elevation. This is when moments rise above the everyday. Moments of elevation transcend the normal course of events. They are literally extraordinary. Another element is insight. Uh, Moments of insight rewire our understanding of ourselves or the world. Uh, This is when we kind of trip over the truth and realize Uh, You know, now is the time for me to start that business, for example, or this is the person I'm going to marry. A third element is pride. These are moments that capture us at our best, moments of achievement, moments of courage. And then finally, there are moments of connection. These, These are social moments, weddings, graduations, baptisms, vacations, sporting events, and so on. These moments are strengthened and they're meaningful because we get to share them with others. So if you want to experience a defining moment, at least one of these four elements need to be present. Now, one of the most defining moments for me in my life was when Beth and I were married. All right, check out those young'uns up there. But what made it especially meaningful for me was I got to walk Beth down the aisle. Uh, her, Her dad had passed away about 16 months before our wedding, so After the bridesmaids and flower girls were in place, I walked to the back to get my bride. And that was a very powerful moment for me to be able to do for Beth uh, what her dad would have done if he had been there. I'll never forget it. But there are moments like that in our lives that matter. And in this new series we're starting today, We're going to look at three defining moments in the life of Jesus that matter. And we want to look at what made them memorable and meaningful. We're going to look at his baptism, his transfiguration, and his crucifixion. These defining moments are found in more than one of the four Gospels, but as we've been doing throughout this year, we want to particularly look uh, in the Gospel of Luke in this series. And what is unique in Luke's Gospel is we find Jesus praying in each of these defining moments. Prayer is one of Luke's main themes. And so he repeatedly highlights the prayer life of Jesus. For example, Luke 5.16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, Jesus prioritized time in in the midst of a very active and demanding ministry schedule to get away and pray. And as you read through the Gospels, you you see this time and time again. 
Another example is Luke 11, 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And evidently, there was something about Jesus' prayer life that his disciples wanted to learn. They, They wanted to practice it for themselves. And for those of us that follow Jesus here today, the same should be true of us, right? We should be coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And so over the next three Sundays, we're going to explore the prayer life of Jesus in the midst of his most defining moments. What, what can we learn from these momentous prayers? And so let, let's turn in our Bibles today to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3. If you do not have a hard copy of the Bible, there should be one close by on the chair rack in front of you. That Bible is our church's gift to you today if you need a Bible. You can also use the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or tablet. We're going to look at just two verses today in Luke 3, and we're going to start at verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too. And as he was what? As he was praying, Luke is the only gospel writer to mention Jesus praying at his baptism. And as he prayed, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, to say the least, this this was a defining moment in Jesus' life and also for those who who were there to witness and to hear this. What made it momentous? Well, for one, all three persons of the Godhead are present. Did you notice that? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call it today the Trinity, right? God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and here we see that the Son prays, the Spirit descends, and the Father speaks. And I I think you can make a case here that all four elements that I shared earlier about defining moments are present in in these two verses. There's elevation, this this was no ordinary moment, this was extraordinary. There was insight, This, this fulfilled what the prophets have spoken of long ago about the coming Messiah, it was an aha moment. There's a sense of pride here. God the Father speaking, this confirmed Jesus's identity, he is the son of God. And then there was connection, this was not done in secret. Other people were present, including Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist. All of this happens at Jesus' baptism. What a moment. But as I was looking at this text over the last week or so, there were two questions that kind of kept coming up in my mind that I want to answer today that I think we need to look at. And so we're gonna answer those two questions and then going to offer some application at the end. Okay, so first, here's, here's the first question. Number one, why was Jesus baptized? You ever wondered that or asked that? Why was Jesus baptized? After all, John's baptism, Luke 3.3 3 says, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And Jesus did not need to repent or be forgiven, right? I mean, he, he's the perfect son of God. And so why does Jesus need to be baptized here? Well, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 3.15 regarding his baptism. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, for John to baptize Jesus, in order to what? To fulfill all righteousness. And so according to Jesus, this is the reason he was baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. But what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Well, God had sent John to prepare the way for Jesus, right? Even John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come. God had sent him to prepare the way for Jesus, and he commissioned John to preach and to baptize. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's simply doing what God the Father had commanded through John. In other words, this is an act of obedience by Jesus. He is baptized to obey God's will. I mean, even though he never sinned, yet this was still God's will for him. And in order to fulfill that will, in order to fulfill that righteousness, he is baptized by John. Craig Blomberg in his commentary says this. He says, to fulfill all righteousness means to complete everything that forms part of a relationship of obedience to God. To fulfill all righteousness means to complete everything that forms part of a relationship of obedience to God. That's why Jesus is baptized. First and foremost, to obey God's will. But we can also think of it this way. If Jesus had not been baptized by John, people might have said, why does Jesus get a pass? Who does he think he is anyway? And it would have undermined, in a, in a kind of a passive way, it would have undermined John's ministry. And so Jesus is also baptized to identify with us. See, Jesus is God in human flesh, right? He became like one of us. He connected with us at our level. He was tempted like us. He got tired like us. He, he felt pain like us. And among other things, he was baptized like us. Even though he technically didn't have to because of his deity, he submitted to it anyway to fulfill God's will and to connect with our humanity. But you know, there, there's, a, there's a bigger picture here that really goes back to the Old Testament. Does anybody know where Jesus' baptism took place? Do you know, you know where it took place? Where was he baptized? Okay, I heard somebody say it, the Jordan River, that's right. Now, this river, if you go back to the Old Testament, was the river where the nation of Israel, back in the book of Joshua, crossed over into the promised land. And the leader of Israel at that time was a guy by the name of Joshua. And Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent for Jesus. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And so similar to how Joshua led physical Israel 
into the promised land, Jesus is here making a new way spiritually for all people to enter a whole new reality, which is a place of spiritual rest and peace. And that is being inaugurated here as Jesus comes, as he begins his public ministry here in his baptism, this is all being inaugurated. So another reason we could say Jesus is baptized is to foreshadow his mission. And what was his ultimate mission? It was to die, right? To be buried. And three days later, to be raised from the dead. And what does baptism picture? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus came to die so that we could be made right with God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this was read earlier in the service, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that was his mission, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Now, this might be stretching the meaning here in this context a little bit, but going back to the idea of Jesus fulfilling all righteousness through his baptism, he ultimately did that on the cross by satisfying the righteous requirements we desperately needed so that we could be made right with God. And in that way, he fulfilled all righteousness our righteousness, the righteousness that we needed. And so really his baptism here foreshadows that. It points to that, his mission. Well, let's move on to a second question. Not only why was Jesus baptized, but number two, as I looked at this text, I was curious, what was Jesus praying can we, can we find out, are there any clues that would help us understand what Jesus might be praying in this moment? Well, again, Luke 3.21 says, and as he, Jesus, was praying, heaven was opened. So, what was Jesus praying here? Well, bottom line, <laughs> we don't know because the text doesn't say. But we have good reason to believe that what Jesus is praying here is connected to John's baptism, which was a baptism of what? That's right, repentance, very good. So how is Jesus' prayer connected to repentance? Okay, we need to maybe put our thinking cap on a little bit here, try, try to follow me. I got this as I was studying for this message from Bible teacher and scholar Mark Moore. He says that we Westerners think of repentance as individualistic, right? That I need to repent of my own personal sins, and, and that's true. But as we said earlier, this does not apply to Jesus, right? He doesn't need to repent for any sins. He's the perfect son of God. However, according to Moore, for Easterners, people who are living in the culture and day of Jesus at this time, who, who live in community, the leader of a group can actually repent on behalf of his followers. 
Okay, so for Easterners living in community, the leader of that group can actually repent on behalf of his followers, and we see examples of this throughout the Bible, and and one is Moses. In Exodus 32, if you go back and read Exodus 32, Moses prayed a prayer of repentance on behalf of Israel after they had made and worshiped a golden calf. Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He was receiving the law from God, including the Ten Commandments. And when he returns, he finds the people breaking the law of God in a big way. So what does he do? He prays. Here's his prayer. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. See, Moses had nothing to do with this. He was up on the mountain. He had nothing to do with this. But as the leader of the people, he prays a prayer of confession and forgiveness on their behalf. And so more than likely, this is what Jesus is doing on behalf of Israel. He's doing this on behalf of Israel specifically, but but I think really for all people, as he prays and as he's baptized. Like Moses, Jesus, the leader and Messiah of God's people, prays a prayer of repentance and confession, not for himself, but on behalf of the people, the very people he had come to save. Now, a couple other comments on prayer here. First, Prayer was frequently a time of revelation and direction from God. Prayer was frequently a time of revelation and direction from God. And we see this especially in Luke and also in Acts. And what revelation do we receive from God here in Luke 3 in our text? What revelation do we receive? Well, verse 22, God literally speaks from heaven. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus' identity is revealed. He is God's son. And God puts his stamp of approval on Jesus, as it were. But then we also see here, and in other places, the Holy Spirit comes in response to prayer. And as he was praying, what happened? Heaven was opened, and what? The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Again, there's this Trinitarian moment. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the voice from heaven all converge together. And you know what? This is actually what happens when we pray today. How do we pray? We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a Trinitarian practice. And it's really what makes for momentous prayer. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all converging together in that moment. So, in light of Jesus' baptism, in in light of his praying here, how should we respond? Well, I want to give you a couple things. How can I take a next step toward Jesus? Because no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, you can take a next step. 
So what does that look like? Well, number one, be baptized. Be baptized. At the end of our second service today, a young girl confessed her faith in Christ and was baptized. It was great. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. But don't just get wet, okay? Believe. Put your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross. Repent of your sin. Pray a prayer of repentance like Jesus did on behalf of the people and call on him to save you. Confess Jesus as Lord and then and only then be baptized. Be buried with Christ in baptism, dying to your former way of life and being raised to walk in a new life with him. The the apostle Paul recounts his conversion experience in Acts 22. And here's what the man who baptized him, his name was Ananias, here's what he says to Paul. He says this, and now Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now that calling on his name there, I think is the original sinner's prayer. We're calling on the name of the Lord to save us. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a turning to God. We turn from a self-guided life to a Christ-guided life. Jesus is now our Lord. Now, I'm sure in a crowd this size today, and we've we've had really good crowds in all three of our services today, but I would guess in a crowd this size, there is probably someone here who has never been baptized. And here at OCC, we believe the Bible teaches that baptism is by immersion. That's actually what the word means, to immerse. We also believe that people who are old enough to make this decision on their own should be baptized, not infants. A baby cannot repent, a baby cannot confess their faith. And so this is a a personal decision that you need to make on your own for yourself. And so if you'd like to be baptized, I want to tell you, I've I've been in the baptistry today. It is ready. The the water is 85 degrees. I mean, it it is so ready. We have everything you need. We've got towels. We've got clothing. You'll even get a t-shirt. And so as Ananias said to Paul, what are you waiting for? You can be baptized today. And what a defining, momentous moment that could be as you pray and obey the gospel. But then here's, here's another next step, and that is to develop the habit of prayer. I mean, to, to, to follow Jesus when it comes to prayer. Again, Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Prayer was a habit in his life. He was constantly talking with his father, whether it be in the private, ordinary moments alone with God, or in the more public, extraordinary moments, like at his baptism. Every moment was the right moment to pray for Jesus. And if prayer was so central to Jesus' life and his relationship with God, how much more so should it be for us? See, our vision, our dream here at OCC is to multiply prayer. 
We want to build a culture of prayer. Why? Because that's how God's kingdom, the church, grows and expands. See, God's power and purpose is unleashed as we pray. We see it here in, at Jesus' baptism, that God's power and purpose is unleashed as we pray. Now, how many of you know the area code here in Wayne County? We all know our area code. What is it? 330, that's right. Okay, so I got an idea. Here's the idea. I want you to set a reminder or an alarm on your phone maybe to pray at 3.30 in the afternoon every day this week, right? And that 3.30 is gonna remind us, ooh, I need to pray for our area, for our county, okay, for where we live, 3.30. Better yet, maybe you even put it in your calendar as a sacred appointment with God that you're gonna pause at 3.30, even if it's just for a minute or two, and you're gonna connect with your creator. You're, you're gonna praise him for who he is. You're gonna thank him for what he's done. You're, you're gonna take a moment and you're gonna confess a sin or a struggle that you have. You're, you're gonna ask God to move in the life of a coworker, a family member, or a friend. You're gonna pray for our county and for our country. See, part of forming a habit is setting those reminders. And so let's do that when it comes to prayer. 3.30 every day this week. But also as part of this series, really the big takeaway is this. We want to take prayer out into our community. We want to put our feet on every street. This is called prayer walking. You probably noticed as you walked in today, there are tables set up around the room with uh, you know, little pennant flags sticking up. Those flags have the names of the towns where most of us live. Okay, up here, your left, my right, we've got Orville. Over here, we've got Smithville and Marshallville. Back in the back, we've got Rittman. We've got Dalton and Apple Creek. Again, probably where most of us live in this room. But on these tables are cards. And on these cards are maps. And there are certain streets highlighted in yellow on those maps. And so what we wanna do is we want to invite you to take a card, you're gonna do this here in a moment, and your assignment over the next three weeks as a part of this series is to walk the streets highlighted on your card. And as you do that, we want you to pray for that neighborhood or that part of town. And there are instructions how to do this on the other side of the card, give you some ideas on how you can prayer walk. Now, we started this morning with 114 total cards. That's a lot of cards. That means we need 114 individuals or families to take a card today. That's a big goal. And I was kind of counting up the cards. I think we've got almost half of them taken in the first two services. But you know, maybe you're like, man, John, I, I can't really walk long distances. Well, you know what you can do? Instead of doing a prayer walk, you can do a prayer drive, okay? Grab a card, get in your car, 
go drive that route and, and you pray. Or you might come to one of the tables today and the map where you live is already taken. Oh no, I wanted to pray for my neighborhood. Well, you can still do that, right? You don't need a map or a card to do that. But here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Maybe God wants to open your eyes and send you to another part of town. In fact, we've got a number of cards in the back on the Rittman table. We need some missionaries to go to Rittman, okay? So go back there, grab a card, a, a map in Rittman, even though you may not even live in Rittman. Go up there. Maybe God wants to send you to Rittman. But do this with your spouse. Do it with your significant other. Do it with your family. Do it with your small group. You can even do it with your dog. All right, go take your dog for a walk and pray. Have some fun with this. The point is, we want to build a culture and a habit of prayer. And as we do that, we want to move out into our community. We want the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. We want to pray our neighbors into the kingdom. We want revival to break out in our towns. We want hurting marriages to be reconciled. We want fractured families to be healed. We want the next generation to grow up to love God. We want God's kingdom to come right here as it is in heaven. We wanna put our feet on every street. Let me just ask you to imagine what might God do as we're faithful in prayer? What might God do? You know, the fact of the matter is, we may never know. We, we may never see or experience firsthand a defining moment. But maybe, just maybe, God is gonna reveal something to you in your heart as you pray and walk. Maybe God has a divine appointment waiting for you as you walk. Maybe he'll open a door for you to pray with somebody. Or maybe God is gonna do a mighty work inside a home, inside a home that you're gonna walk by. He's gonna do a mighty work that you may never hear about this side of heaven, but the defining moment is gonna come as a result of a prayer that you're gonna pray. Wow. And so OCC, I wanna send us out to cover our community in prayer. I mean, is there anything more important that we could do, really, than to go out and to pray? On the front of each of these cards on these tables, there's a small QR code. We want you to use that to share with us your prayer walking experience. In the coming weeks, we hope to share stories of what God is doing. Who knows, this could be a defining moment for you or for someone you pray for. So I'm gonna pray, and after I pray, we wanna invite you to come up here to the front to these two tables, go to the back, those two tables, pick up a card, and then head back to your seat and begin praying for that street, those homes that you're gonna be walking in the coming weeks. And as you're doing that, the band's gonna lead us in a couple songs. Also, if you wanna be baptized, head back to the next step area Someone will be back there to greet you and to talk with you. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this incredible privilege we have to come before you in prayer. We do it through your Son, Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we so much want not just to form a personal habit of prayer, but we want to take this to our neighbors. We want to take this to our schools and businesses and our, our government, our leaders. God, we, we want to flood this community with prayer because, God, we know that your purpose and your power are unleashed as we pray. So God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to pray, to walk, and to witness what you're gonna do. God, we love you. Again, thank you for what you have done for us, that you are our righteousness. In you is found forgiveness. And it's all because of what you have done in Christ. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.